So before I open, let's have another word of prayer, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, for the new week that you've given to each one of us. I ask, Lord, that you would draw close to us as we draw close to you. I also ask, Lord, for your guidance. Send your Holy Spirit that I may illuminate our minds to the current situation of what's going on in this world. And also, Lord, how we as Christians can handle this in a way that gives you honor and glory and also compels people to want to know you better. I ask for your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. LGBT and the church. Take a look at this picture. It's frightening, isn't it? But I was in Holland with Ron Woolsey, my colleague, and we uh, were being given a tour of the city in Holland. And as we came up out of the parking garage, this was the first thing we saw. And so this is actually the gay flag that's actually flying on the main Protestant church that's in the city. Now in Europe, all, in all of the towns, the church is in the center of the town and it's usually the highest steeple that you can see. So in this town, again, this was the highest steeple and the first thing that you saw was the gay pride flags flying on it. And with the friends that I was with, this young couple, and they were good Adventist missionaries, they said, oh, they've been doing that for 20 years. And so they were so used to it as it was shocking to us, to them, it was kind of like no big deal. So it's kind of like you can sense that there's the frog in the soup kind of scenario going on, that, that it's been around in Europe for so many years that people are very comfortable with it. So I also went to Stockholm, Sweden, and that's where I was visiting my friend Samuel, who's on this, this brochure. And as we were going through the city, it was gay pride town. And these are just some of the things that we saw in the subway system. They had a huge rainbow painted there. Um, and also some of the billboards in the city were welcoming the pride. And look at even the streetlight showing same-sex couples, you know, with little hearts and holding hands. So this is what we're starting to see. It's not just in the United States. It's going on around the world. And take a look at this. The, Claudia Lopez, the very first gay lesbian governor of Bogota, in Colombia. Now, South America is known for being very conservative and very Catholic, but isn't it interesting that even in a very conservative uh, country called Colombia, that they have their very first gay lesbian mayor who's open about that. So I do this just to let you know that the, the pulse around the world is definitely steaming up, and we know that it's coming. And if we know that it's coming, I think it's fair to say that we're not going to be able to stop this tide. However, we're going to have to brace ourselves and we're going to have to prepare ourselves. How can we address this in a way that doesn't push us further away, but rather compels people to want to know Jesus Christ? Isn't that the challenge today? Because you know what? It'd be far easier to just be condemning and just say, you're going to burn in hell if you don't repent. And I hear that a lot. Or now what we're hearing the other side is like, oh, no, you know, just love them and let them be. But that's not really love, is it? Because they're still lost. Because true love upholds the biblical standard. And unfortunately, even in Christianity, did you know that the pro-gay Christian group that's in Adventism they're basically saying that the Bible is hate speech. Now, they say that it's okay when Jesus says to Mary, she says, your sins are forgiven you. That's a very good thing. But when Jesus says, now go and sin no more, they're saying that that's hate speech. I think you get my point. So again, I want to share with you the trailer to our movie, Journey Interrupted. And it's also free on the internet in uh, 12 different languages. Apparently, we don't have any sound. Thank God. Why? Why did you create a boy when I was supposed to be a girl? So I prayed and I said, I don't want to live, Lord. 
take me now. I, I just don't want to go through what's coming. I felt dirty. I felt, well, I had been tainted. I thought, okay, well, obviously this is something that I can't really tell anyone about. I'm crying in my bed at night because these things are happening, and Jesus, I can't hear him anymore. I said, how dare you say that I'm an abomination when you made me this way? That's not fair. I didn't choose this thing. I didn't want this thing. Why would I join a religion that tells me that I'm just going to die for being who I am? Is this a different God than I was acquainted with when I was little? I finally decided to just accept who I was and give up. I believed that I was gay and that it didn't match up with God's word. And I was like, oh well, I don't know what to do about that. I just kind of pushed everybody aside, including my mom. I just felt like nobody else has been there. Why would she? I was desperate to be secure in my sin. I, I did whatever I could. I was, I was willing, tell me lies, tell me lies, lie to me. I found myself on my knees at the end of my bed, and I said, God, how, I don't know how you could forgive me. You still want me? Because everybody else rejected me, everybody else turned their back on me. You want to go too now? It's as though the devil was not going to let me go. And if he could not entice me, he would turn to violence. It's time for us to talk about this. It's time for us to offer help. If he is who I've been reading that he is, it all makes sense. How like God to show me that when I really started opening up myself and making myself the most vulnerable I've ever been in my entire life, that what I get instead is not rejection, but acceptance. I shed my blood for you so that you can claim this victory. It's freely yours. All you have to do is give your heart to me. Right, so that's actually our French uh, trailer. And again, like I said, we have that available in 12 languages for free if you go to journeyinterrupted.com. Okay, it's an overwhelming issue. Religion doesn't have a prayer. When it comes to equality, LGBT activists and their judicial allies have made sure sexual behavior trumps religious liberty every time. You start to see that in our world today, don't we? And so identity is everything. Would it surprise you to know that it wasn't even an issue over uh, 60 years ago that people didn't understand even what the term LGBT was? LGBT was started by a man named Alfred Kinsey. Anyone heard of him? Alfred Kinsey was a researcher back in the 1930s, and he was actually commissioned by the Rockefeller uh, Foundation to research about human sexuality. Alfred Kinsey was a known homosexual pedophile masochist. As a matter of fact, Alfred Kinsey even died from his own sexual wounds. Um, but this is the man that was entrusted with hundreds of thousands of dollars to do research. And Alfred Kinsey actually paid fathers to molest their daughters and to record their data. And there's really um, a lot of information on the Internet. Uh, if you look up the name Judith Reisman and also Alfred Kinsey, you'll get a lot of information that's startling. I would definitely not recommend that you let your children watch that. But what it did is it actually catapulted this understanding that I should be identified according to my attractions rather than the two kinds that God created. So until that point, biblically, everybody understood that you were either male or female. 
and of, and of course, heterosexuality was what was um, acceptable and normal. And so it wasn't until Alfred Kinsey did his research that this was now considered normal. In Alfred Kinsey's research, he studied uh, a lot of children to, to basically promote the idea that children are sexual even at birth. He molested a six-month-old baby girl for 24 hours, and he said within a 24-hour period of time, by oral and digital stimulation, this child had a period of 20 orgasms. Now, an orgasm was defined as screaming, vomiting, and passing out. And this is where we get our sex education today, period. This is where we have the promotion of LGBT acceptance among Christianity because of this man's research. This is where we get the identity that you can be non-binary and your, your uh, sexuality can be fluid regardless of what your biology and anatomy is. I want to share with you, remember the young girl that came up to me that had a master's in gender studies? Right? It's pretty impre impressive, right? And so as we were just having a normal dialogue, and remember, I'm just a hairdresser, but as we were having this dialogue, I was asking her to compare, you know, what, you got a master's in gender studies, so what was that like when you started to study the biology about sexuality? And she goes, well, we really didn't study that at all. I go, what? I go, you have a master's in gender studies and the, and the biology and the science of sexuality never even came up? She goes, well, no, because it would go against the social constructs of what they were trying to promote. Thank you for the affirmation is the best that I can come away with. So even some of the information that I have gleaned from my own research on the biology of identity and sexuality, here's a person with a master's in gender studies and she didn't even have a clue. But again... Draw this as information for yourself to recognize that there's an agenda moving to basically discount biology and science and to make social constructs the political movement and the norm of our society. So again, Kinship. Kinship is an organization that promote themselves as a Seventh-day Adventist group. However, they've never been acknowledged by the Seventh-day Adventist church, even though they're able to keep the name SDA Kinship. As a matter of fact, I remember I was a new Christian and I was with my friend Ruben, remember my skinny Puerto Rican friend, and we were sitting together one Sabbath afternoon and I found the website for Kinship. Kinship is a gay affirming group and they're basically saying that if you're monogamous, that God accepts that and that that's healthy identity and, and it's acceptable in the Adventist church. And I said, Eureka, I finally found that I can have a boyfriend and my Jesus too. And my friend Ruben, he said, but Mike, wait a minute. Look at the way that they discern those biblical verses about homosexuality. And I said, I don't care. I don't care. You know, just tell me I can have a boyfriend in Jesus. And he said, but Mike, he pled with me. And as he pled with me, finally, I came to my senses and realized that as much as I wanted to be affirmed in my identity and my attractions, that I had to accept the word of God, I had to make a very difficult choice. And I hope that you don't minimize the decision that I had to make. Was I going to turn away from the 20 years that I identified myself with and accept Jesus as my entirety? Or was I going to go back into the life? I felt like I only had two choices. But now, according to these groups that are coming into Christianity, and every Christian church has a group of pro-LGBT people that are moving we spoke at the Mennonite church uh, a couple of years ago, and they have a group that's called the Pink Minnows. Isn't that interesting? So it's, it's interesting to me that there's an agenda of LGBT promotion in every group of Christian organization, right? Because they're trying to promote this, this, um, this ideology. So again, Bisexuality Week. Kinship was celebrating Bisexuality Week. Well, wait a minute. I thought they said it was okay if you have a monogamous relationship, but bisexuality basically says that I'm attracted to both sexes. So there's a little contradiction here, isn't there? 
So two institutions established at creation. That was marriage and also the Sabbath. And so Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28 was the establishment of the marriage. Genesis 2, verse 3 was the establishment of the Sabbath. Ellen White says that these are twin institutions. And so when one twin is under attack, we know that it's very soon before the other one is also under attack. What if God were watching the Seventh-day Adventist church to see how we respond to marriage being under attack, to know how we're going to handle it when the Sabbath is under attack? Are we going to compromise according to the world standard and social constructs and give up our sacredness of the Sabbath? Or will we hold tight to these principles and yet still promote it in a way that's loving and kind that draws people rather than pushes people out? So again, let's talk about the biology, which I think is very basic. And I used this illustration last night. Uh, Again, talking about the creation of man. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So the most beautiful part, and I hope that this principle was, maybe for you, some of you it was brand new, maybe others of you already knew this, but the most beautiful gift that God has given to one man and one woman in a committed relationship is the gift to create life. That makes us like God. The image of God is created in us in the ability for one man and one woman to have and create a child. So raise your hand if you're a parent out there. How about the day when your child was born and you looked into their face and you said, wow, she has my chin. Wow, she has my ears, right? Right? And so God has given us the privilege to be able to look into our own creation and to see those characteristics of, the, of what God goes through when he creates his image in each one of us. Nothing destroys this precious gift more than the LGBT agenda. Because two males together sexually cannot produce life. Two females together cannot produce life. And the, the greatest tragedy to me is that an, a transgender person who has mutilated their body and destroyed their sexual organs cannot produce life either. And so this is a huge, in my opinion, attack on the very image of God that he has created in each one of us. And if you look at it compassionately that way, that something has been stolen away from the LGBT community, I think it would also adjust some of our thinking when we approach people that don't necessarily live like we live. So what's next? Can you take the sound off of this? Because I just want to go through the video. Can I get a thumbs up or something? Thank you. Okay. So I don't want the video to play on this, but I just want to show you this video a little bit. So what is next? So now that we've got promotion of LGBT acceptance, we have laws now to protect this group of people. Now what's happening is we have other groups of people, other fringes that are coming forward saying, hey, Well, if marriage can be defined by two people of the same sex, I have a different way or a different understanding of what marriage should be, and I think that I deserve to have those rights too. What you're looking at here is a new definition of family in American culture. There are television shows that are promoting it, but this is actually what they call a thruple or polyamory. It's two women in a relationship with one man, and each of these women had children, and this is what they're saying that they are demanding the right to have marriage for that they deserve to have uh, acknowledged the fact that this is actually a marriage that is defined by two or more um, people in a relationship. I'm sorry, three or more people in a relationship. So what else is next? Now we've got another fringe group. I remember 20 years of being in the gay culture. I marched in the gay pride parades, and there was always this little group of fringe people in the back. They weren't well known, but we knew that their presence was there. And this was called NAMBLA. NAMBLA is a group of men basically saying that they were born to have sexual relationships with underage men. 
Not only should the age of consent be lowered, but they also believe that they were born this way and that they should be acknowledged to have those rights and that they should be able to have legal marriages to children that are underage. I know, I know. It gets worse. So again, now we have some people are pedophiles. Get over it. So now we have the promotion again of uh, thanks to um, Alfred Kinsey that children are sexualized. And so pedophilia should be normal and accepted as well. Do you see how crazy this is getting? When we compromise in one standard, then all of a sudden all of these other groups are coming forward demanding their rights as well. One of the things that Coming Out Ministries gets accused of is being reparative or conversion therapy. Has anyone heard of that? So basically, these harmful modalities, what they do is they basically focus on behavior. Behavior. So they'll take somebody that's gay, and it's usually from a very good Christian background or whatever, a Christian parent not knowing what to do. They send their children to reparative therapy, and the idea is that they hook them up to electricity, and every time they have a same-sex thought, they zap them, and the whole idea is we're just going to zap that gay right out of you. So again... You know, Pavlov did it with a dog, but, you know, to do that with human beings, what it did is it brought a lot of anguish. And a lot of men and women actually committed suicide because of these harmful modalities. Coming out ministries, let me be very clear, is not about conversion or reparative therapy at all. I cannot make somebody straight that was gay. As a matter of fact, I still have same-sex attraction. But the Lord has also healed me to the point where I have attraction to the opposite sex. Imagine going through puberty twice. But then, as I've been walking with the Lord, our ministry is not about making gay people straight. That's not my job. But it is my responsibility and opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ, where he has all the healing that we need. He promises to deliver it. And so instead of uh, focusing on behavior modification, which can be a good thing, we're talking about divine intervention. Isn't that right? So change your notes. We're not here to make gay people straight. We're here to connect people to Jesus Christ and allow them to walk in the power and the glory that he provides, which is something that the world can't give. Remember, people, we're Christians, right? Our identity is in Jesus Christ. So we're not offering people what the world can offer them. And you can have behavior modification all day long. But what we're talking about is the divine connection with Jesus Christ. And when you understand that thinking, it changes your attitude and the way that you approach this topic with other people. It's not about gay people getting married and having families, because that's a lot of questions. Like people say, well, Mike, are you married? Are you dating? And uh, unfortunately, no, I'm not married. Maybe you're not praying hard enough. I don't know. But the point being is that whether I marry or not, there are still plenty of people that have same-sex attraction that are married with children. So that's not the litmus test to prove whether somebody is straight or not. Am I right? Or redeemed? Does that make sense? Are you guys just shocked because you're like... <laughs> All right. So I want to share with you this little video that we have on our website. Guys, can you, can you roll this, please? Thank you. Conversion therapy is defined as, quote, the pseudoscientific, false science practice of trying to change an individual's sexual orientation from homosexual or bisexual to heterosexual, using psychological or so-called religious interventions. For the record, we adamantly disagree with this process. Coming Out Ministries does not now nor have we ever engaged in or endorsed it for the following reasons. Reason number one, it's abusive. Conversion therapy attempts to force the alteration of behaviors upon others, which violates an individual's free will. Reason number two, it has a bad track record. Quote, 
In short, there is clear evidence that conversion therapy does not work, and there is significant evidence that it is also harmful to LGBTQ people. End quote. HRC.org. Reason number three. It's not biblical. Coming Out Ministries calls upon divine intervention that goes above and beyond. It's all about love. It's all about the power of Jesus Christ. God's Word offers to us the power to go beyond human limits. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so the pro-gay movement, they use the whole ideology that coming out ministries is about conversion and reparative therapy. And, you know, they've tried to nail that on us for many years because, quite frankly, they can't argue with our theology. So instead what they do is they attack the, the reputation of coming out ministries. And if you accuse, accuse them of being conversion and reparative therapists, then what you do is you create this big havoc, which is why we were kicked out of England. We were actually scheduled to speak in England. We were only going to speak at two humble little churches, but there was a firestorm when the gay community, the pro-gay community, called the LGBT community in London, England, and they said, listen, you don't want these people to come because they promote conversion therapy. They raised 40,000 signatures to block coming out ministries from coming into their country and the law had to listen to that and so they went to the churches and they said listen if you don't shut down these programs we're going to block these people from even coming into the country doesn't that sound a little extreme for a little ministry and so they did they canceled our meetings and so instead we were blocked from going into England we had 10 days and so the door opened up for us to go to Italy. We got to stay in a 600-year-old villa in the, in the Italian Alps, and we were able to present in Milan, Italy, to six different churches. We had all of our stuff recorded into Italian. So God, you know, when a door closes, God opens a garage door. Isn't that right? So again, now we have this new term, this new identity called gay Christian. Well, let's talk about that for a little bit because, you know, one of the comments that was made to me by an attorney at Andrews Universities, he said, well, we want to use contemporary language, you know, in, in uh, our description of, you know, LGBT uh, lives and this kind of stuff. And so while this 21-page this document that the seminary released from Andrews University, they did use the term gay Christian. They allowed coming out ministries to come, and we really wanted a discussion about this terminology. And we fought desperately to make sure that they understood you cannot put a prefix on your identity in Christ. If you heard the presentation yesterday morning, it was the most profound thing that I'd heard from another person is this young girl came up and she said, my identity is in Jesus Christ, period, right? And that is the whole focus. Whether you come from same-sex attraction or you're a raging heterosexual, we have to recognize the fact that as a Christian, my identity is in Jesus Christ and that alone. Isn't that correct? So when I take a prefix and put it on my identity in Christ, remember the prefix is the primary identity. Really? So you're telling me that your, prime, your prefix is your primary identity before Christ? Think about it, brothers and sisters. Does that, does that even make sense? And so if, if I'm a gay Christian, remember, homosexuality is a, is a sin temptation. It's a sinful temptation, right? I, I'm sorry, let, let me be clear on that. It's a temptation, but it's a sin if you act on it, according to the Bible. So why would I take a sin temptation and put it on my identity in Christ? Does that make sense? 
How can two walk to le- together unless they be agreed? Isn't that what the Bible says? So how can you take a sin temptation and say that that's your primary identity and then you're a Christian? Imagine the confusion that you give to people like me who are searching for truth and trying to find and justify a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're telling me that I can put my identity as a homosexual in front of my relationship with Jesus Christ? Does that make sense? Well, if I can do it, then why don't you do it? You know, why wouldn't you want to be called an adulterating Christian? Or maybe you'd like to be a lying, stealing Christian. You know, pick whatever soup du jour or sin du jour that you'd like and put it on your identity in Jesus Christ. Do you see the confusion here? Do you see how this doesn't make sense in this term? is a true conflict and a, and a creation of the enemy to use social constructs to give us permission to sin. Because the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you'll confess your sins, that he is faithful and just not only to forgive you, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if I identify as a gay Christian, then gay is no longer a sin. And so if I don't confess it, then how will I ever know the cleansing that Jesus has for me? Didn't that deserve an amen something? Thank, okay, all right, so I'm, you guys are with me. Oh, okay, I went too far. All right, so ye therefore, beloved, Second Peter 3.17, seeing that you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, that you fall from your own steadfastness. Unfortunately, what we're going to see again, and if you read Great Controversy, if you study the Bible, we know that there are issues that are going to be taking place in our church. But God needs people who still hold on to the right, and yet still have the testimony of Jesus. And part of the testimony of Jesus is a kind spirit, a loving spirit. And so, yes, it's important to have the truth, but you also need to have the spirit of Jesus Christ whenever we approach what sin truly is. And so while the church is trying to compromise, while some areas are are compromising about what the identity of uh, sexuality is, those of us that are holding on to it, we know, we know that as we're living in these days that we have to hold on to these principles because not only are they good and sound, but they're loving blessings from God. Isn't that right? For whatever you think in your heart, that's what you are. And so now, you know, that I, I remember that uh, I was struggling again with pornography addiction. And I, there was no way I was going to go to my pastor and say, hey, I'm struggling with porn. I'm an elder in my church. And so the only place that I could go was I went to Sex Addicts Anonymous for a year. Twice a week at four o'clock in the morning, I'd get up. I'd have to drive for an hour to these meetings where I would sit in a group. And every time I had to speak, I'd say, hi, I'm Mike. I'm a sex addict. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm a sex addict. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm a sex addict. And I sat in a group of men. And you know what? For the first time in my life, I had a place where I felt I could at least be honest and open with what I was struggling with. Isn't that sad that I couldn't feel that way in my own church? Isn't it sad that I felt judgment and condemnation by the church that should have been there to help people like me, right? So here I am in this group for over a year saying, hi, I'm Mike, I'm a sex addict. And then after a year, I started to realize, you know what? Nobody in this group is getting any victory either. And I've been there for a year. And I started to get really angry at God. And I started to be really open and honest with God. And I said, you know what? This isn't working. And you said that the Adventist church has everything that we need to find victory until Jesus comes and returns and takes us home. And I need it. And in my frustration, and as I was angry with God and as I shouted out to him, the Lord showed me this little ugly red book that probably many of us have on our closet. And it has a really disgusting title. It says, Ministry of Healing. Ugh, who wants to read that? I pulled that book off the shelf, and on the very first page it says, the same Jesus that came 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus today that wants to heal men completely, physically, spiritually, and mentally. 
And in the margin of my book, I wrote homosexuality and, and, and pornography addiction. And I said, Lord, this is on you. You said that you have the power to heal me and I need it. And what I started to realize is that it was never something that I was going to be able to get the victory over on my own, that I needed to recognize that Jesus had the power and authority to cancel out not only my temptation, but also to clear my history and to give me new thoughts and new feelings and new uh, aspirations. And so as I started to read that book, it didn't necessarily talk about my sin, but it did talk about my Savior that had all the power and authority when he rose from the dead after he died for my sins on that cross. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because this is really the capstone of all of it. Because if you say that LGBT is acceptable by God, then you make null and void what Jesus did on the cross. That means he did all of that for nothing. That's an enemy straight from hell, or that's a message straight from hell. And so as I read that book, that ugly little book with that disgusting title to me, it started to have profound meaning. It started to have power in my life. I started to find victory where I had no victory before. And now I share that with pastors and young women and young men all around the world. And I say that you need power to overcome your sin. You need to know who is the power giver. And that book, Ministry of Healing, in my opinion, is what Ellen White has provided for the church to help us understand what sin is and also who it is that takes away our sin and gives us the power and authority over it. And so for as a man thinketh in his heart, that's so he is. So every time I said, hi, I'm Mike, I'm a sex addict, guess what? I chained myself to the one thing that I wanted to leave. Every time I said I was a sex addict, I'm now putting myself back into that group of, of what I was saying that I wanted to leave. Do you see the contradiction here? And so a lot of times people tend to take these AA principles and apply it to Christianity, but that is not a Christian principle. It says, because in Christ, I'm a new creature. That the old things are passed away. Behold, everything becomes brand new. And so I am not a sex addict anymore. And while I still may trouble, I still may struggle with thoughts and feelings because God didn't wipe away my history or my memory and he didn't wipe away yours either. And so we have to learn how to live with those temptations and those thoughts. But he does promise to always give us the victory over our thoughts and feelings. I am not a homosexual because I have those thoughts and I remember what I used to do. My life is in Christ, and in Christ, my identity is, and he gives me what I need to be able to have victory over those thoughts and feelings until the day that the enemy is gone. And if Jesus struggled with temptation until the very final moments of his life, what makes you think that you're going to be exempt from that until we die or see Jesus? Isn't that reasonable? So why would I make my identity my thoughts and my feelings? Because in Christ, my identity is in him. So let me ask you a question. With the terminology of gay Christian, we've opened the door just a little bit for the snake. Now, I lived in the country for 16 years, and there were lots of snakes in East Tennessee. And I had this screen door that just wouldn't close all the way. And you know what? I'd be doing hair in my basement in my shop, and I'd have that screen door open to just get some ventilation. Well, all of a sudden, one of my friends found a snake skin in between pieces of my furniture. And I thought, hmm, that was a pretty long snake that got in my house just from a crack like that. And so if we start to open up and we start to compromise the principles of God's word, just an inch, how much of the snake can get in? The whole snake. Isn't that right? I want to ask you a question. What's wrong with this picture? What's that? Very good. Very good. Sometimes people really struggle with this. And I saw this image for a couple of years and I thought, oh, isn't that nice? Look how compassionate that is. Jesus wants to give him the robe of righteousness, not realizing or understanding that he's covering his filthy garment. 
And, you know, this is the new movement that's coming into Christianity is that, you know, we're going to sin until Jesus comes. And so he, he's still going to give you the, the robe of righteousness, but he's just going to cover over your old characteristics and your old behaviors. Is that what the word of God says? That's right. Isn't it interesting that the devil is the one that always wants to expose our nakedness? But what I love about Jesus is he's the one that always wants to cover it. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18. I think that's this. Not moving. There we go. It says, I advise of you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And so right there, we have to recognize that I have to take off my old identity and I have to drop it. What I love about this is while the enemy is always looking to expose our nakedness, right? He not only does he entice us and he tempts us, but then when you fall, he's the first one to laugh and to say that God hates you and he'll never help you and this is who you're going to be. And I've heard that conversation from many men and women over the last 10 years, and I've said it many times myself. But what I love is that my Savior steps in and when I am completely vulnerable and I am completely naked because of my own failed attempt, he said, Mike, let me cover you up. Isn't that beautiful? Don't deny me the privilege and the opportunity to come before God as I am, naked and afraid and alone and cold. And he says, Mike, let me cover you up with my righteousness. By allowing the term gay Christian, what I'm saying is that you don't have to clean yourself up and I've now denied you the opportunity to wear the very uh, robe of righteousness that Christ has to offer. You will still be identified in your old clothes. Does that sound like a Christian principle? Of course not. We need to have our eyes open to how the enemy is infiltrating in through this very, very difficult issue. Denying the power of Jesus Christ. Acceptance of gay Christian or approval of homosexual practice is to say that the word of God is null and void and that Jesus is all love and no power. Making Christ impotent is job number one for the devil, and he knows that diluting the righteousness, the restoration in man, is going to be the devil's throwdown on the issue to draw men away from the sanctification process that is needful for heaven and communion with God the Father. Remember how yesterday I was saying, my friend said, guess what? If Jesus is coming soon, then that means sin will be no more. Isn't that right? So if sin is no more, then that means whatever is on me is going to be destroyed. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 13, it talks about who shall be able to dwell in the presence of an all-eternal burning fire? Do you remember that one? Who do you think it is? It's not the unrighteous burning in hell. It's actually the righteous that are in the presence of an all-consuming fire. And that all-consuming fire is God's glory, which is his goodness. According to Moses, remember the burning bush was on fire, not because it was holy ground, but because God's presence was in it. And it was represented as a cleansing fire because that's what glory does. The goodness of God destroys anything that is filthy and defiling and sin. So if I continue to wear my identity as gay, then unfortunately I will not be fit to dwell in the presence of an all-consuming fire. And when sin is destroyed, I'll be destroyed with it. Is that a loving message? Is that a loving message to tell people that they can still continue to identify in their sin? Be very clear on this point. Because there are people that are offering other individuals like me that struggle with identity and attraction and they're thinking that this is acceptable. And if I buy into that theology, then I have cut myself off from the very power of Jesus Christ to give me that freedom. And he already paid for it. It's sitting there just waiting to be given to those who ask. And the devil cuts off our access to that when we accept these lies.
Do you remember the story of Marissa? Do I need to tell you that again? Yes? Oh, okay. Wow. I really like this story. Too late. I already ruined it. All right. All right, so here is Ray. Ray lived as a male. She wanted to be a male. She actually was approved to take the hormones and also have the surgery after living as a man for two years. There was this voice that she would hear inside her head, and she would fantasize about her wedding, but instead of being the bride, she wanted to be the groom. And she would hear the voice of Ray inside of her head, and that's how she identified. And the voice of Ray would say, you know what, you should have muscles and facial hair. You shouldn't have breasts and smooth skin. And so she decided to have these surgeries. She was molested on the playground by girls and boys. She was living in a violent, drug-addicted home. And so at 16 years old, she moved to Seattle, where she decided to have these sex changes. But then the voice of Ray said, you know what, you're so pathetic, no one will ever want you. You should just kill yourself. So here she is approved to take the hormones and eventually to have the surgeries, and now she can't even get out of bed. The depression is so bad. The suicide rates among the transgender population are 30%. 30%. A third of transgenders will commit suicide no matter where they are along their journey of, of change. Those are the highest rates of suicide among any group of people. So Ray called the only person that she knew, and it was a Christian friend. And she said, I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm wanting to take my life. And her friend said, just come to me. And she couldn't afford the ticket, so her friend paid for the ticket, her Christian friend. Her friend didn't stick her finger in her face and said, you're going to go to hell for what you do, and you're going to be condemned, and God doesn't love you. Instead, what she did is she prayed for her. And as she prayed for her, all of a sudden, one day, Ray was there for three months, and she woke up and she said, you know what? I've never prayed for you before. And she said, God, how do you see me? And the next image that she got was of this woman with long hair and a long flowing dress, and, and she was praising God. And Ray said, that's not me, and she dismissed that thought. But she did continue to read the Word of God. And as she opened up the Word of God, she opened up to Psalms 139. Write that down. It's the answer to the transgender issue, Psalms 139, in its entirety. And as she started to read that chapter, it started to change her, her life. She started to realize that God pursued her because he loved her. And that his thoughts towards her as countless as the sands of the seashore. And as she started to embrace the word of God, it started to have an effect on her. The power of God was working in Ray's life and she started to let her hair grow. Now that doesn't sound like a big deal to some of you, but you know what? Some of us, that's all we can do. So we can just let our hair grow. And as she allowed to let her hair grow, she started to slowly change her wardrobe. And this is who Ray has become. Isn't that beautiful? Remember, man judges the outside, but God judges the heart. And while many people will mutilate their bodies and take hormones that will destroy their life expectancy, also that they can become what matches in their mind, but God wants to transform our minds so that we match the biology that he blessed and gave us, as it says in Psalms 139. And so if Marissa would have had those, those mutilating surgeries, she never would have known the joy of getting married, and then she never would have known the joy of breastfeeding her own two children. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Do you see that the power of God is something better than what the world can give you? The world offers you hormones that are going to increase your rates of cancer and mutilating surgeries to where you're going to have scars for the rest of your life and the inability to create life, which was a blessing that God gave us as he was giving us the image of himself. The devil steals, kills, and destroys us away from you, but God is the God of restoration. And if you didn't know that this existed, now that you know, change your thinking and change your attitude when it comes to the LGBT community and those that maybe don't identify as you do. And have some compassion because maybe they don't have access to the information that you have. Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. 
that put dark for, darkness for light and light for darkness, that put the bitter for the sweet and sweet for the bitter. I thought that this was a, a warning to the world, but this is really a warning for the church. Woe unto us when we take the word of God and we change it and we dilute the power of Jesus Christ to transform a life and we give them a really pathetic alternative. We have these two positions in the church. When Coming Out Ministries started 10 years ago, when I left the church, the only thing I heard is that people like me just couldn't change and that we were going to burn in a hotter hell than everybody else. And so then I come back into the church and then 10 years later I started ministry with four other individuals and now not only are we competing with this attitude that God hates people like us and we get that constantly even in churches like this but now there's this new movement going on that they say the same thing. They said, yeah, that's right. Gays can't change but God loves them because they can't change. And so they should be accepted in the church. Bring your lover, bring your family, whatever and you'll find love here. But here's the problem. They're both wrong. Because they're both based on a lie, gays can't change. God either hates them or they love them, but the message is the same, that gays can't change. Well, has anybody read 1 Corinthians chapter 6? For some reason, nobody can get to the verse 11 because all I ever heard as a young Adventist growing up is that I was an abomination unto God. And everybody left out verse 11 and they talked about everything that was in there. Let's, let's go through the list. Maybe you can find your name in there too. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither shall fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So guess what? I can find myself in a few of those. And so how dare us, as the Christian majority, or, or uh, what was the word, morality, to sit there and take homosexuality and parade it as the greatest sin according to God? Because according to Ellen White, it's pride. And you can't tell me that not one of us struggle with that one from time to time. But according to the Christian church, we take homosexuality out and we put it up here and we say that this is the crowning sin that God just can't help. Well, the gay community heard you. They said, well, if that's the truth, then we want rights and we want to be able to marry. And so I believe that the Christian community did more for gay rights than anybody else. But here's the, here's the, here's the answer to that. Because when you bring in verse 11, it says, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified. Is that something that I can do? Absolutely not. It said, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's talking about divine power that comes in and does something that I can't do. And how dare the Christian community cut people off from the power of Jesus Christ? Because who are we working for, God or for the enemy? A liberal church says that you are welcome here and that you do not have to clean up your life. A legalistic church says that you are not welcome here until you clean up your life. But I love what Jesus says. You are all welcome here and I will change your life. Isn't that beautiful? Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 1 has an application to today. And I'm running out of time. So what does, uh, what does a woman represent in the Bible? Say it fast. Thank you. All right. So seven women will take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel, but let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. So this man is the groom. Who represents the groom? Jesus. So here's seven women, seven churches wanting to take hold of Jesus. They want his name, but they want to eat their own bread and wear their own apparel. So a woman equals a church. So let's go on. What does the bread represent? Bread represents the word of God, right? What does apparel represent? The righteousness of Christ. Is it all coming up there? Okay, there we go. 
So again, here are seven churches, and they recognize that Jesus is the one that they want his name. They want to be Christians. But they say, listen, we're not going to take the word of God. We're going to change it, and we're going to make it suit ourselves. We're going to eat our own bread. And then you know what? You can keep your robe of righteousness because we got pride, and our pride is a six-colored flag, right? So do you see the problem here? Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1 is exactly talking about what we're talking about today. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. They have a form of godliness... But they deny the power thereof. What power are they denying? What power are they denying? They're denying the power of Jesus Christ to transform and change a life. And when you deny that from somebody, you are not doing the work of God. You're doing the work of the devil. And we could all be Christians. This verse is actually talking to the Christians of their time. Looking for people that have a form of godliness. It's all love. It's all about love. But when you deny the power of Jesus Christ and say that gays can't change, you're promoting a message from the enemy and you've totally destroyed and made null and void what Jesus did on the cross. I want to end with this story. I promise I'll end. So the biscuit story. So there's a young woman, as a matter of fact, she's featured on the front of our film. This is Anna. Anna is a lesbian. Anna has a girlfriend. She calls her mom and she says, Mom, I want to bring my girlfriend home. Uh, for the weekend. And Andrea, who's a, a good Adventist Christian, her mother, she said, I, I didn't really know what to say. And I said, I'll have to think about it. So she called me on the phone and she said, Mike, what do I do? And I said, well, you have every right to establish some ground rules at your home. And if you don't want them to sleep together, you know, you can say that. And, and if you don't want public affection, you can say that too. And I said, but didn't Jesus die for, for Anna's girlfriend also? She goes, I know, I know, but I'm not ready to see all of that. I don't know what I'll do, but I'll pray about it. As Andrea prayed, she was convicted that, that, that she wanted definitely her daughter to come home. She didn't want this girlfriend to come with her, but she did see the opportunity that maybe this would be an opportunity to minister to her as well. So she agreed and she said, you can come home on the grounds that you both sleep in separate bedrooms and that you no public affection in front of me. And she said, no problem, mom. And so they came. Andrea, being a very loving individual and also loving to teach, she, she accepted this woman into her home. They slept in separate bedrooms. They live on a farm. On Sunday morning, they woke up, and Anna came into the kitchen and where her mom was, and she said, Listen, Mom, can we have biscuits and gravy? And her mom said, Okay, well, that's a lot of work. You're going to have to help me. Immediately, Anna's girlfriend backed up, and she goes, No, no, no. She goes, I don't cook. I don't cook. She goes, My mother never took the time to teach me how to cook, and so I, I don't know anything about you know, cooking. And so Andrea, again, not realizing what she was doing, she just said, well, then come over here. I'll show you how to make biscuits. And so this young girl goes over, and Anna rolls out the dough, right? They make the, the biscuits. They put it on the tray, and then they put it in the oven. They bake it. Uh, Anna made the gravy. They had a nice breakfast together. They were laughing and talking around the table. That's all. Nothing scriptural. The Bible wasn't mentioned. God wasn't mentioned. They just had a really good visit. And then the two girls went outside to look at the farm. Andrea went into the kitchen, started cleaning up and all, and as they were walking on the farm, these two girls, all of a sudden, Anna's girlfriend turned to her and just broke down and started sobbing. And immediately, Anna said, what did my mother say to you? And as she was fighting back the tears, and when she finally gained enough composure, she goes, it's not that at all. She said, I know how your mother thinks about us. I know what she feels about us. And she said, my own mother wouldn't even teach me to cook, and your mother was nice to me and kind to me and just showed me how to cook. And she goes, I can't believe how nice your mom is. Isn't that what we're supposed to be, brothers and sisters? Harmless as doves and wise as serpents, right? Isn't compassion supposed to be the thing that people see first and foremost? 
But the story isn't over. The story was over until about 16 months ago, when all of a sudden this young girl that had dated her daughter and they had broken up a long time ago, she called Andrea on the phone and she said, listen, I want to thank you for praying for me. I want to thank you for that Christian example that you gave me in your kitchen that day. She said, because I've accepted Jesus as my Savior and I've walked away from the gay life. And I'm no longer doing the drugs and drinking and sleeping with women. I've dedicated my life to God and I want to thank you for praying for me for all those years. I hope that I've really challenged some of your thinking. I hope that I've given you some really good tools to use. I hope that you can think of individuals that need this kind of compassion and love, but also need to to find the love of Jesus compelling also. And I hope that you can be that example for them. As we go into the question and answer time, please send in your questions. I'm sure you have many. And we'd like to answer those. If you will ask the question, if they pertain to this topic, I will do anything that I can to make sure that we answer those questions for you. As we segue into the next section, can I go ahead and close and open in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to again address the issue that is going on in our church today. But also, Lord, we are not, to, um, we are not the only ones that are, are struggling. The church struggles, Lord, with representing you in a loving and kind way. We have the truth, Lord, but we lack the compassion that is so necessary. And yet there were people that were willing to do that for me, but I still came into a church that was very dark on this issue and very much prejudiced against me. I believe, Lord, that we're changing. I believe that it has to change because now we no longer have the opportunity to stand by and to be silent on this issue or to be silently judging people on this issue. We have to address this issue, but we want to come out in a way, Lord, that we can lift you up and honor you and still at the same time uphold the truth because many people are willing to just throw away the truth and make you impotent, but that's not who you are. So, Lord, I pray as we go into the question and answer time that, Lord, that you will inspire us, enlighten us, and equip us for the times that are coming soon. As a matter of fact, Lord, they're already here. So I pray that you'll prepare us in the time that we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.